Good morning, everyone. My name's Debbie, and I'll be doing the Bible reading this morning. If you'd like to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have the Bible with the plain text on the front, it's on page 818. The one with the embellished front is 1,161. And you can either put that aside for the sermon and follow what's behind me, or you can read along with me. Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, and we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view Though once we regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who has no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You want me to go? Keep going? Okay. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favour I heard you, in the time of my salvation I helped. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour, now is the day of salvation. Thank you. Hello everyone. <clears throat> so if uh, you're new, if you've not met me, I'm Scott. Um, was one of the ministers here. Hello everyone uh, watching on the live stream. Um, Benjamin and Cassie, if you're there somewhere, uh, good to uh, see you. Cassie's coming back from uh, Malaysia on uh, Tuesday night and uh, Benjamin's coming back from some undisclosed uh, location uh, sometime on uh, Tuesday as well, I think. So uh, let's pray, shall we, and uh, as we come before God. Father, we want to thank and praise you so much for your word, Uh, what we've just sung about your word, not being just uh, ancient stories or the wisdom of uh, older people, but something which is living and active and which changes our lives and changes our futures. We uh, want to pray, Father, that by your spirit that you would be changing us now as we think about your word and uh, 
Grant us all spiritual wisdom and insight and understanding, we pray, in order that we would live lives that are worthy of you. Amen. Some people are just a little bit crazy, aren't they? I remember the first time my family ever saw Steve Irwin on television. And uh, there he was. Um, we, were, we were transfixed because there was his fellow and he was taunting an African spitting cobra. Now, this particular snake, it, uh, <clears throat> it blinds its uh, target by first spitting in their eyes before lunging and uh, sinking its venomous fangs into their flesh and killing them. And there was Steve. He was, he was thrilled to bits because he could now hardly see the cobra because of all of the snake spit that was covering over his protective eye gear and he was ecstatic about that. He thought that was so exciting and the next scene he was trudging through the jungle somewhere just uh, looking forward to the, uh, to the thrill of uh, coming across a, a flesh-squeezing, man-eating boa constrictor and uh, we were... We were just transfixed by this guy. We, 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 were, we were thinking, this guy's crazy. <laughs> this guy's nuts. He's, he's out of his mind. And I think there's certain, some truth to that, actually. But we were saying that in a really positive kind of way because we were being captivated. We were being entertained and we were just glad it was him and not us. <laughs> You know, often when we think about someone as being out of their mind, though, it's not quite as positive and fun as that. Um, in fact, uh, when we think of someone as being a bit out of their mind, uh, sometimes it can sort of be a, a negative uh, comment, uh, actually, like a, a judgment about them, a judgment about uh, decisions that they've made and uh, how they're living and so on. Perhaps, perhaps because a person has made an important decision which... Uh, rightly or wrongly, just doesn't fit with the way that we think um, and what we would do in their situation. Um, for example, perhaps they've, uh, they've said no to something which looks to us uh, to be a great opportunity or they're, uh, they're throwing away something which they've worked very hard for, maybe even walking away from a career. And we... Think about them and we say they're, they're crazy, they're nuts, they're, they're out of their mind. Why would they do that? Now this is something which was actually said about the Apostle Paul. Remember when you think about Paul as a young man, as uh, Saul, uh, Saul was, a, uh, he was a, a young Jewish man and he was a man who had in one sense the world at his feet. He was uh, intelligent, he was, he was highly educated, very well educated by a respected teacher, Gamaliel. Uh, he was a Pharisee, and uh, you know, we think of Pharisees as being the bad guys, but in uh, first century Jewish culture, uh, Pharisees held very high status within their community, and so here he was. He was a young man with the world at his feet, he was a young man uh, with a great future. But then, when we look at Acts chapter 26, uh, we see that pris he was now a, a prisoner 
who was defending himself in court. And when he was defending himself in court before the king and before the governor, he spoke about his life and he spoke about his, how his life had been changed, how his life had been turned around, had been turned completely upside down when on one occasion he was travelling to the city of Damascus in order to persecute Christians when he, was, when he met when he met the resurrected Lord Jesus. The resurrected Jesus spoke to him from heaven and his life was changed. And now, and now, testifying before the king and the governor, he says, now what my life is on about is that I testify that the Christ had to suffer and rise again. And it was at that moment that the governor interjected. He interjected and he shouted at him saying, Paul, Paul, you are out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Your great learning has turned you, has driven you insane. Out of his mind. I mean, how could a a well-educated, intelligent a well-educated man like Paul believes such nonsense. He's crazy. He's nuts. And he's thrown it all away. He's now in prison and on trial. Well, it's not surprising that someone who's not a Christian, a worldly governor, uh, might um, conclude that Paul is out of his mind, that he's crazy, that he's nuts. Uh, and we, we kind of expect that from people in the world, don't we? But we don't necessarily expect that to be the evaluation of people from within the church. And yet, that was exactly the case uh, for the Apostle Paul. Because in the church in Corinth, there were, um, there were influential power brokers... Uh, There were men who wanted the Christians to follow after them and their teachings rather than respecting the teachings and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so to them, Paul, who had planted the church in Corinth, uh, Paul was their, they considered him to be their competition. And so they compared, they disparaged him, they ran him down, they tried to ruin his reputation by comparing him negatively against themselves and they were proud of themselves for they were gifted they were popular they were successful <laughs> whereas Paul uh, well he's his preaching divides people he causes riots in cities like Ephesus he keeps on getting run out of town and he's in and out of prison the things that he does well he's crazy He's out of his mind. Why would you follow a loser like him when you can be part of what God is doing through us? Now, I've been a pastor for a while now and uh, long enough to know that with uh, confident and talented leaders that all that glitters is not necessarily gold. Not necessarily. What do you think matters most to God? Is it what's on the outside or is it what's on the inside? 
That's what the, what's on the heart, isn't it? That's what God looks at. That's what God values. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you'd like to have that open in your Bibles, Paul here wants to equip the Corinthian Christians to know how to respond to those who dismiss his ministry as if he is just out of his mind. And what we discover as we look at this passage is that we discover that that his ministry is actually consistent, it matches with his message. Now, let's have a look at verse 11 uh, as we start. In verse 11, Paul says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is on the heart. Now, what do you think should motivate us in Christian ministry? Well, uh, there are a number of things which should motivate us in Christian ministry. One is actually mentioned by Paul in these verses, isn't it? I wonder if you can see it. It's in, it's in verse 11 where Paul says, we try to persuade men. Uh, why does he try to persuade men? Why does he try to persuade men? Well, he says it's because we know what it is to fear the Lord. That's why we try to persuade men. Now, fearing the Lord, <clears throat> you know, uh, at one level it means uh, uh, revering God, respecting God, honouring God, knowing who God is and knowing who we are in comparison to God ought to mean that we don't, um, we actually have some very, <laughs> an ultimately high regard for, for God in that sense we fear him. We also fear, uh, there is, it is right to fear judgment, isn't it? And uh, last week we saw uh, in verse 10 that one day we must all face the judgment seat of Christ. And to know that all people will be judged, well, that's actually a very powerful motivator for Christian ministry. Now, some of the uh, glitzy super apostles in today's churches teach the false gospel of prosperity. You know, become a Christian and God will bless you with health and with wealth and you can say goodbye to your financial woes and say hello to your dream house, your foretaste of heaven. And it's no wonder that these people are so popular and that crowds flock to their churches. But for Paul, but for Paul, it's not about this life. Rather, it's about saving people from God's judgment. We know what it is to fear the Lord, says Paul. For this reason, we try to persuade men. And it's because of that, because he's seeking to save people from judgment, that Paul finds himself being sometimes unpopular. And he's actually willing to be unpopular because the stakes are so high here. He is willing to be unpopular. He is willing to be beaten up. He is willing to be driven out of town. He is willing to be rejected because he believes in judgment and that people need to be saved from judgment. It's for this reason that the super apostles who were motivated by worldly success 
say that he's nuts, he's crazy, he's out of his mind. Well, maybe so, says Paul. Check out verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now, um, godly Christians uh, will often make decisions which are you know, not exactly great career moves or not exactly great lifestyle decisions in the eyes of the world. But we do so because God is our priority. We put God first. And so if Paul says, Paul says, if I am out of my mind, if he's out of his mind for allowing himself to go through sufferings, then he says, well, I'm guilty as charged. I'm guilty as charged. I'm happy to wear that badge because I'm doing so for God. <laughs> but he's not, he's not really out of his mind, is he? Uh, he's not just some crazy, misguided and deluded uh, zealot. And no, no, in verse 14 he says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Convinced. You know, Paul has come to a... Um, and, and the word for convinced there is actually uh, uh, about the, the fact that he's come to a a logical, rational, thought-through uh, decision. He's looked at the evidence. He, he knows what the Old Testament says about the coming Christ. He knows what the eyewitness accounts of Christ's uh, life and death are. He met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus and he has become convinced, he has become convinced that on the cross that Jesus died for all. Now, throughout this passage, where we see the word for, F-O-R, it literally means on behalf of. That's what it means. That Jesus died on behalf of me. That Jesus died on behalf of you. That my sin and your sin was placed on him. So that he was judged on our behalf, in our place, in our stead. In verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we can be made right in God's sight. We can be forgiven. We can be made right with God. Our guilt is wiped clean. We are forgiven. And we are right with God forever. Now that is, that is great news, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the word gospel means good news. And that is not just... I wish there was a word that just said great news, terrific news, the very best news, a clean slate a fresh start, a brand new life. A life lived, in verse 15, no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. 
I love the songs we sing in church, don't you? It's been good this morning so far, and there's a great one coming up after the sermon. Um, sometimes in church we sing songs which we, if we actually really seriously thought about the words, we might hesitate to actually sing the song. Not because the words are bad, but because the words are good. This life I live is not my own, for my Redeemer paid the price. We sing it, don't we? Do you believe it? Do you believe that your life now is not your own? That your life does not belong to you? That you now belong to another because your Redeemer paid the price? Do you believe it? We sing it. The death of Christ for us means that we now live for him. We die to ourselves. Um, the American evangelist uh, Billy Graham used to, used to say in his sermons sometimes that uh, he, he would say that uh, sometime in the future you're going to read in the newspapers that I have died. And he said, don't believe it. I will be very well at that time and very much alive because I died years ago. I died when I accepted Christ as my Lord and my Saviour. Because of Christ's death for us, we now die for him. We die to ourselves. We are, as Paul says in verse 17, now we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But what does it mean for us to die to ourselves? You know, I really love it when, you know, when someone becomes a Christian and uh, they're a really fresh, brand new Christian, and there is this dramatic change as a lot of the old is just put aside and they embrace the new, and you can see this wonderful change that happens that doesn't stop there, does it? No, because we should be dying to ourselves every day, every day, by God's Spirit changing our character to be more like Christ, changing our priorities to put not our kingdom first, but to put God's kingdom first. Giving up some of our worldly ambitions so that we can be more committed to Christ and more committed to the work of ministry in our situation. Being prepared to go without or even to suffer rejection. Doing the out-of-our-minds kind of stuff so that others can hear about the Lord Jesus Christ because we no longer live for ourselves. And for some people that will actually involve giving up um, comfortable, even uh, lucrative jobs so as to serve full-time in churches or, or on the mission field, sometimes in hard places, um, physically hard, spiritually hard sometimes both physically and spiritually hard. We, uh, we used to sing a song. I don't think we sung it for a while. Time to reboot it. It's, it's called Compelled by Love. Do you remember that one? Compelled by Love. Well, it comes from, uh, from, from this passage. 
For Christ's death for us is actually the ultimate expression of God's love, is it not? It's the ultimate expression of love. It's a love which in verse 14 compelled Paul. It was a love which in verse 14 gave Paul no other choice, no other choice but to sacrifice everything for the sake that others would get to know Christ. It's a love in verse 14 which compelled Paul and it which should compel us in true gospel ministry. Uh, recently I watched a documentary about a network, <clears throat> particular network of churches where the, the persona, the lifestyles and the, the ministries of the pastors was just really, really difficult to connect, to match with the message of Christ's sacrificial death for us. Not so with Paul, whose ministry was shaped by the cross of Jesus. I mentioned that throughout this passage, when you see the word for, it literally means on behalf of. And we see this especially in verses 20 to 21, which literally reads like this. Have a look at this. It literally reads this way. Verse 20, therefore, on behalf of Christ, we are ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin on behalf of us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if you were going to represent Christ as an ambassador, then you want to be a bit like Christ, don't you? Humble, sacrificial, willing to suffer so that others might hear and believe the message and be saved. Living in such a way which is actually consistent with the actual message itself. Because this is not a message of worldly success. It's not a message of living your best life now. It's not a message of morality or tradition. It is a message of reconciliation. That though we deserve God's judgment, that God was in Christ reconciling, bringing together the world to himself. <laughs> Now, Paul can never resist an opportunity, can he? And in verse 20, therefore, he implores the Corinthians, saying to them, be reconciled to God. He implores the Corinthians to, to put their trust in Christ, to, to be forgiven of their sins and to become new creations, to be reconciled. To God, And you think to yourself, well, hang on a moment, aren't the Corinthians already Christians? Well, yes, yes, but you know what, as Christians we always keep on needing to be hearing the gospel, don't we? But maybe not all of them were Christians. Maybe not all of them were Christians. That's possible. Just as it's possible that some here this morning um, may not have yet uh, put your trust in Christ. 
And uh, perhaps uh, you might be in that situation, that you're someone who's been coming to church for a while and you've been thinking about hearing the gospel, you've been thinking about the gospel, you've been giving it consideration, but you've not yet, you've not yet actually taken the leap and put your trust in Jesus. Maybe it's because you've still got questions and issues that are unanswered. That's a good thing. And I'd, I'd be very happy, happy to help you with those or um, <clears throat> connect you with someone else who can do so. Or maybe, like Paul, you are convinced that Christ, uh, that Christ died for us, that he died for you, but you're just kind of procrastinating over it. And you're just, you're just kind of waiting for someone to give you the nudge. <laughs> well... Feel the nudge now, because today is the day of salvation in chapter 6, verse 2. Today is the day of salvation. Come clean with God. You can do that. You can do that by praying to him, by confessing your sin to him, by acknowledging what Jesus has done for you on the cross and being thankful to God for Jesus, who died for you, Telling God that you now hears, that you died to self, that you want to live that new life because of what Christ has done for you. You can do that. <laughs> don't keep on putting it off. Don't wait till next week or next month or next year or next whenever. Be reconciled to God today. Now is the day. Now is the time. For salvation in chapter 6, verse 2. Now, of course, for many of us, uh, we've already done that and we've been Christians for a long time, many, some, too many years to remember. I think it's you know, 30, 40 years for me. And isn't it great being Christian? Isn't it terrific? But are you still crazy? Or have you become too comfortable? complacent in the Christian life. I mean, you may not be the gospel version of Steve Irwin staring down the uh, spiritual equivalent of a spitting African cobra, although why not? Why wouldn't you be that equivalent? I guess the question, though, is could you still be accused of being out of your mind for God? <laughs> Could you still be accused of that? Could you still be accused of being a bit crazy for God because of your commitment to the gospel, because of your priorities, because of what you're willing to let go, what you're willing to sacrifice, what you're willing to give up, who you're willing to serve, because you are convinced that one died for all and that he died for you that you may now live, not for yourself, but for Christ. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for Paul. We thank you that his ministry uh, modelled the cross of Jesus. We pray that our ministry will model the cross of Jesus as well. And Father, we thank you for that cross. We thank you that Jesus was willing 
not to seek after his own glory, but rather to suffer and to die, that our sins would be paid for, that we can be born again, that we can have a new life that goes on forever. And Father, we pray that uh, knowing that he has died for us, that we would now live for him, whatever the cost. In Jesus' name. Amen.